Praise God. I'm so glad y'all came out tonight to be blessed again by Brother Ivan and his family. God is amazing. Well, Brother Ivan, I don't know what you got lined up for tonight, so come on. Yes, sir. Good evening, everybody. Oh, man, how are you doing today? We've been having a great time here in the hill country. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3 and we'll get going. Let's not mess around. So, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to your navel, and marrow to your bones. Okay? So I want to talk to you tonight about the Jesus-centered life. And, you know, there's a lot of things that come against you in your life, a lot of different situations. It's easy to get off of Jesus. And what we've got to remember is that what makes our life stable is Jesus. What makes our life worth living is Jesus. What makes us worth living around is Jesus. What's going to bring peace to you in the middle of the night is Jesus. What is going to give you a vision for the future? Jesus. What's going to get you through the battle that you're in and through the trouble that you're going through is Jesus. Jesus-centered. This is a very big thing. So in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed and were deceived, one of the curses that we see there that came upon uh, a woman, it says her desire would be towards the man. And when you kind of dissect that, it means that a woman's curse was to not be able to be happy unless she had the approval of somebody else. And this is a very hard thing in life, that when when Jesus becomes the center of your life, He literally is the source of your joy. He is the source of your peace. The reason you have peace, the reason you have life, the reason that everything can be okay when everything is not okay is because he's truly at the center of your life. Think about how many things have happened to you this year already. Just this one year, the stuff that you've been through in your life. Think about what happened last year and put all those things together that are not resolved yet, that just kind of passed on to this year. And you can see how, it e- how easy it is to get distracted, and how easy it is to get confused, and how easy it is to get your, your heart, your eyes, your spirit off of Jesus. So for Kimberly and I, we've been in this 40-something years now, and uh, thank God, thank you, Jesus. 40-something years of, of walking with the Lord. And, you know, it is really the best way to say it. Keeping your eyes on Jesus is a very powerful 
it makes your boat steady. Even if the, the storm is not calm, you're calm. Just like Jesus sleeping in the boat. There will be situations where you cannot control that storm. You cannot actually stop it. But you can be at peace in it. It's a very powerful thing to put yourself back in the center of your life. It can destroy everything. And it's very easy to put yourself back in the center. It's when you take charge in the areas where God is supposed to be in charge. Because, you know, we have a lot of confidence in our own flesh, in our own abilities. One of the great things Jesus said, he said, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. And I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. And I can of my own self do nothing. Three very powerful statements that Jesus being the perfect example revealed to all of us how Jesus himself said, I cannot do anything unless my Father shows me, speaks to me, tells me. I can't do anything. What a place to come in your life where you actually believe that. And you actually say, I, I can't manage this person. I can't manage this situation. I can't control this circumstance. I can't physically take this into my hands and make it the way I want it to be. It's a very powerful day when you and I get to the place where we really believe that, and then we begin to live it out. So I'm going to give you some of the things uh, today that cause you to have a Jesus-centered life, because it's really important. You're going to have a lot of people that come in and out of your life that are going to want to take control of your life. Think about how many times you got emotional this last year because of someone in your life. You got really emotional. You were disturbed by those people. Maybe something they said or the way they acted or what they did, but you got disturbed. It took your peace. It stole your joy. It robbed you of your ability to rest inwardly, to have inward peace. Because something else was trying to take the center place in your life. And this is the perfect scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart. How many of you tonight, as you're here tonight, are having to trust God for something? How many of you are having to trust God for something? You realize this is a big deal going on in my life right now, and I can't take charge of the situation. There's no door for me to walk through where I can take charge and make this come out the way I want it to be. I literally have to trust God to intervene in the situation. How many of you are there? Put your hand right here on your heart and say, Dear God, I'm sorry if I have not trusted you, but I trust you now. I give you every area of my life, and I trust you with it because it is the only safe place for me to live. I take my hands off of every situation and off of every person that I am trying to manage or to control in any way. I trust you 
that you work all things together for my good because I love you and I'm called according to your purpose. I trust you that what you have started, you will also finish. Praise the Lord. All right, tell somebody, ooh, you look better now. We know then that worry is faith in Satan's promises. So once a satanic idea enters your mind, worry is activated. Just like when a divine promise of God enters your mind, faith and peace are ignited. So you have to continually be putting yourself in the hands of God. If you are fighting a physical battle with health and the doctors can't do anything for you, you're just going to have to trust God. If you're fighting a situation in a relationship that you have tried to change and it's not changing, you're going to have to trust God. If you're dealing with something in your own life that you cannot overcome and you've tried everything you can, you're going to have to trust God. Trusting God is how we make Jesus the center of our life. And, you know, I mean, I, I have not trusted God many times in my life, many, 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 many times. But I have never trusted God and been disappointed with the results. It is a spiritual habit that you and I have to learn how to develop. And it, it, it's every day, every single day with every single person. Especially if you love somebody and they're hurting and you want to fix their pain. And you say, oh God, if they would only do what I told them to do. If they would only obey me, they would be so happy. <laughs> but people who have grown up tend to believe they have a mind of their own. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They, they just tend to believe like God has given them free will or something. It's, it's a terrible thing. But, but, but it's the reality of having to trust God because who likes pain? And who likes transferable pain? Which is transferred to you by anything you love that is hurting. That could even be your dog. Anything you love you automatically adopt its emotional world. And if you cannot trust God, and if they cannot trust God, it becomes a very chaotic and tormenting place to live. You're, we're all going to die someday. Now, I'm believing God for a hundred years. Praise the Lord. And everybody always smiles at me like, whatever. But there are others before me that have lived that long and ministered and rescued orphans and widows. So I'm, I'm believing God. Praise the Lord. I'm trusting God. Uh, but, I, you know, for 100 years, you've got to trust God for a lot of things. I mean, your heart has to work. Your brain has to work. You know, your kidney, kidneys have to work. Your liver has to work. I mean, like your bones have to work. <laughs> your, your, there's a lot of things that need to be supernaturally like maintained by God, plus your own obedience to you know all the health things that you have to do. Praise the Lord. 
So look at someone right now and say, I'm going to start trusting God. Tell that to somebody. Say, I'm going to start trusting God. Think about finances, how you have to trust God. Even rich people have to trust God with money if they love God. Because think about all the worries that come with having a lot of money if you really love God. Now, if you don't love God, it's a different thing. But if you love God and you have all that money, you realize God gave me this money to do things with it. Well, what do I do? There's like 10,000 things. So, you know, this is the first thing to having a Jesus-centered life. At the end of the day, you have to trust God. Praise the Lord. Two, if you would go with me to John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. So a Jesus-centered life is a life where you obey God. But really obeying God doesn't count until you don't want to obey Him. Because it's not really obedience to obey God when you really want to do that. That's nothing. Anybody can, oh, okay, I'll do that. Whatever it is, go on a vacation. It's the Lord's will, you know. Or, oh my God, somebody wants to give me a house. I receive it. It's God's will. I'll obey him. I mean, you could say, oh, I don't want to receive that house that someone is trying to give him, but, you know, but I'll obey God. You know, it's, it's foolishness like that. But, but when God says to you, I need you to do what I tell you. If you really love me, I, I don't need to have a discussion with you about everything I ask you to do. I need the conversations to come to an end, and I simply need you to know that I'm smarter than you are, that I have your well-being in mind, and that I know where I'm trying to take you, and you just need to do what I ask you to do. It is a big deal when you become unconditionally obedient. And I'm not there. Unconditionally obedient. It's when you literally just know I'm just going to do whatever God has told me to do. He tells you to tithe, so you tithe. You don't have arguments. I don't, can't afford it. I don't know why you're asking me to give 10%. I, you really don't need my money. I mean, come on. But you know that God doesn't want you to tithe because he needs your money. He wants you to tithe so you won't need your money. And it's obeying. It's obeying. This is all about obeying. Our entire life of Jesus-centeredness is obeying God. We're going to have to obey God in some very hard, difficult things that are going to create war in our ego, war in our pride, war in our vanity, war in our arrogance. He is going to ask you to apologize to some of the most horrible, terrible people that have ever lived. Just because you acted bad Nowhere near as bad as they did, but because you're a child of God and you're Jesus-centered, you're going to have to apologize for just thinking terrible things. They actually said them. And if you go, well, no, 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 I'm not going to, I'm not going to apologize, Lord. I'm sorry. I mean, they're, they're animals. I'm not going to apologize. This is what Jesus-centeredness really means. It means you obey God. If you love God, you obey God. If I love God, I will obey God. I will do things that I don't want to do. It's putting Jesus in the center, you know, of your life. 
And this is a very hard thing because now you go from having a savior to go to having a master. And at some point in your walk with God, you have to choose your master. Because, you know, everything in your body can become a master. Your pleasure, your imagination, your fantasies, your desires, your wants, your longings, your dreams, your aspirations, your ambition, your vision, relationships, people, experiences, many things can take control over that area of obedience. Obeying God is a very big deal. And he said, the way that people know you love me is that you obey me. And that will kill the flesh and kill our pride a lot of times. Praise the Lord. I remember I had to apologize to somebody with a fake smile and pretentious love. Because number one, I didn't want to smile, and number two, I didn't mean it. But I just did it because I knew I was supposed to do it. And I was still offended at the person when I did it. But as a habit, I just did it. And people were watching me and were around and all that. So, praise the Lord. And um, I remember it just kept coming up and coming up and coming up inside me and coming up inside me. I disliked myself for doing it. And I thought, wow, that was, that was just like hypocrisy. But it really wasn't hypocrisy. It was obeying God. All the other things can line up once you obey God. Once you obey God, your feelings will eventually follow your obedience. Once you obey God, parts of you will get back in line that are out of line. It's when people get stubborn and they don't care what God wants them to do. They don't care anymore. They just want their agenda to be fulfilled. And that is a very dangerous place and a very a place of unhappiness. Three, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, that I die daily. So a Jesus-centered life is a life of dying daily to yourself. Now, how many of you know you have a self? Praise the Lord. Now, I've been real good at this for like months at a time. And then bad for months at a time. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die to that today. And then, boom, something else. Woo, man, that was hard to die to. Wow, I'm not really dead to that. Dying is one of the great master arts of the Holy Spirit's training in our life. The Holy Spirit trains us to die to ourselves. It is a very, very, very beautiful thing when somebody it's truly crucified that part of their life, and they can no longer be provoked, seduced, managed, intimidated, bribed, or bought. Because they are dead to all of that. And that is a very beautiful place, but it only comes when Jesus is the center of your life. Because we're all fleshly people, and we all need the help of the Holy Spirit, to die to certain things. How I many of you know you've got a few things in your life you need to die to that are still breathing, that you have an old man that is really alive in some areas, 
more than in other areas. And I've watched this in certain members of my family. I've watched them die to certain things. And that thing that was alive before is to- it's just dead. You cannot make that person feel that or do that anymore because a death has occurred. Christianity is a life of death as well as a life of resurrection. It's truly knowing how to put something in your life that has been there since maybe you were a child to death. And that can be anything. It can be a dream, it can be a hope, it can be a desire, it can be a, an aspiration, it can be anything. And you sometimes have to crucify and say, God, I want this to happen so bad, but it's not happening. Nothing I can do is making it happen, and I'm just trying to make it happen, and now I'm going to have to put it at the feet of Jesus and crucify this because I can't make this happen. Because for anything you do that puts Jesus first in your life, you receive benefits and blessings. And it's the same with dying. Anything you die to in the flesh has a spiritual benefit of something alive that is going to enter your life. When something died, it exits your life, and it releases the power of the Holy Spirit to resurrect a part of eternity in that part of your life. So every time you die, eternity enters that part of your life. And all of a sudden, you have a part of divinity operating in that part of your life. There's something actually divine about you because the Holy Spirit has resurrected that part of you. The Holy Spirit has helped you die to something and be born to something pure and beautiful. Praise God. Have any of you ever died to anything? How many have ever died to the same thing many times? Like, wow, I really died to that ice cream for months. Now it's resurrected all over again. Praise the Lord. I'm going to have to die again. And that's the funny thing, I guess funny, but that's the unusual thing about, about our flesh. It's so ready to always be resurrected by one act of obedience to it. You can raise it from the dead. And it can take over your life all over again. And the thing you were free from now has power over you all over again. And you were totally free at one time because you crucified that thing and you killed that thing and you refused to feed that thing and it starved to death. Now it's being fed again. So for Matthew 16, 24, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Then Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is very another way that we lead a Jesus-centered life, and that's a life of sacrifice. Obviously, the opposite of sacrificing is selfishness. So being selfless puts Jesus at the center of our life, and being selfish puts ourselves at the center of our life, or some other person, or even the devil. This is what Jesus did that was so amazing, 33 and a half years of selflessness. Have you ever thought what it would be like to be one of Jesus' brothers or sisters? Like, let's say, the second one after him, which was James, and Jesus was watching you all the time and raising you and, and training you and, and teaching you, and, and then the next one? 
and then the next one, and then to be one of his sisters that he would watch out for, that he would spend time alone with, because he's perfect love. So whatever it is you love and whatever you've ever loved and whatever compassion you've ever shown, whatever baby you've ever loved, whatever little child you've ever loved, it's nothing compared to the kind of love Jesus has because his love is perfect. And to be one of his family members, to be treated the way perfect love would treat you, I mean, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling. And then to realize that your brother is God, and then to bow down and worship him in the upper room, I mean, it just has to be a very devastating encounter with God. If you're James and you become the number one apostle uh, and, and you're pastoring the church of Antioch with 50,000 believers in it, and you are literally have spent uh, close to 30 years in intimate, in the same house, in the same room, maybe even sleeping next to Jesus watching him, how he lived his life, what things he did, how he would build things for people and then give them for free. How, who knows what he did? Who knows what Jesus did? It's all just an amazing thing to think about. I love it. But it was full of selflessness. And that's, that's the Jesus-centered life, is putting Jesus first. Do we do that? Because that's where, where you're going to find your true identity, and your true happiness is putting Jesus first. If you don't put Jesus first, if you're selfish, you, you go to war with the Holy Spirit. You're in a constant state of personal conflict with God because selfishness does not flow with the Holy Spirit. It is contrary to what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's a hard lesson to learn, but most of our unhappiness is the fruit of a selfish choice. The Holy Spirit is going that way, and then we decide to go in an opposite direction. Praise God. If you've ever met a selfless person, they're pretty amazing, especially if they do it genuinely, authentically, if it's not a religious thing to have superiority intellectually over someone and to think I'm more like Jesus than they are and all that re religious stuff. But out of love, sincere, genuine, selfless behavior is how we make Jesus the center of our life. I mean, to me, selfishness brings a lot of guilt and a lot of shame to me, to me personally, because I'm very selfish and things of that nature, and it makes me ashamed. I feel shame a lot because I'm selfish and self-centered and things like that. And it's always the Holy Spirit is always talking to me about it, always talking to me about it. How I grew up selfish. I grew up spoiled. Most people think, oh, you know, I grew up poor. Poor is naked, no food, no house, and no way to know where you're going to get it. That's poor. If you didn't have that, you're probably not poor. I mean, I wasn't ever poor. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but I grew up with Mexican food, and that's about it right there. I mean, I had flour tortillas every day. I had, I had carne guisada every day. Mm. I had sauces of every kind every day. 
And I really had a mother that spoiled me. I didn't know that's what it's called. But I mean, I said, Mom, I want pancakes for dinner. Okay, she'd make me pancakes for dinner. Pancakes for breakfast. Pancakes for lunch. I hadn't eaten vegetables till I got married. Actually, on our honeymoon, my wife looked at me and said, no, I looked at the plate and it had strange food. <laughs> and it was spinach. And I said, what's this? She said, that's spinach. I said, well, I, I don't eat that. Well, you're going to eat it now. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, I need a word from God. If I made it, you can eat it. I said, okay. And I got delivered on that day. Praise the Lord. But if it had been my choice, I would have never eaten spinach. Because I threw up, you know, when I ate spinach as a kid, <laughs> trying to be Popeye. But a Jesus-centered life is a life of sacrificing. There's nothing wrong with sacrificing if the reason you do it is because you love something. Praise the Lord. So I want you to hug somebody and say, I'm going to give you my house. Praise God. Go to John 8, 29, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Praise the Lord. So if you and I are going to li live a Jesus-centered life, we're going to have to live a life that pleases God. When you find a human being whose desire it is to please God, they're not like other people. Because they're always aware of what doesn't please God. They have inside a teacher. They have an inward teacher, the Holy Spirit, that teaches them the things that please God and the things that don't please God. And they're constantly learning what pleases God. And the more that they learn what pleases God, the farther away they get from Satan's reach. The farther away they get from the reach of misery and unhappiness. Because pleasing God in itself brings you happiness. Because there is an inward pleasure that comes from knowing you have pleased God. It's very powerful. It's like when you know you've done something for somebody you love. My wife or one of my daughters or one of my sons. And, and I know, wow, I just did something. They really, wow, every, they really, wow. I mean, I just made them happy. Wow. That, and there, it, Because we are created to please God. We are created to please the heart of God. But how do you feel when you know you've displeased somebody that you care about? When they have been made miserable and unhappy by your existence. And what happens when every day of your life they tell you you don't please them? And what if you have a whole family full of people, nobody likes each other and nobody pleases each other because nobody is pleasing God? Pleasing God is powerful. It's stopping and asking yourself a question, does this please God? What I'm about to do and say, does this please God? Am I about to please God with what's about to come out of my mouth? Am I, do I please God with what I'm about to do? Is this really pleasing to God? Because to have a Jesus-centered life, you actually ask those questions and actually say, God, is this going to please you? 
That's how you make Jesus the center of your life. Because some people, especially religious people, for example, a religious person is so conceited and so spiritually arrogant that they do not bother to care about you or anyone else around them. They just care about themselves and their own image and identity as a Christian person. So they just go around bossing everybody, disagreeing with people, preaching to everybody, commanding people, telling people that's of the devil. I rebuke this. I rebuke that. You're the devil. That's the devil. The way you're thinking. Get they just have this superiority garbage on them that is the fruit of being disconnected from God and deceived by their own ego and vanity. But pleasing God, whoo, that's a different deal. I was preaching at a church, and the, afterwards the pastor and I went to lunch, and he was talking to me, and all of a sudden he just broke out crying, just right over lunch. And I said, what, 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 what? you know, like, what's going on? And I, I had been talking about identity or something. And he said, you know, my father cussed me out every day of my life as long as I can remember to the day he died. He cussed me out. He cussed my brothers out. He cussed my mother out. He cussed us all out every day. He just cussed at us all day, every day, about everything. He was never pleased, never happy, never anything. And he's weeping. I said, well, does God like you? He said, yeah, yeah, God likes me, but I still got a lot of, a lot of damage from that language because I never could please my father. My, my family could never please our father. None of us. It's how he kept control over us. Is he would make us crazy with wanting to hear one nice word come out of his mouth. I mean, talk about witchcraft. He, man, he managed his family with criticism and fault finding because he was so, he hated himself so much that that hatred just spread to every member of the family. Everyone in the family got the disease put on them that he had in himself. Do you know that people that please God like themselves? And it's not just positional pleasing, which you, you automatically are pleasing to God when you get saved. You're just positionally, you know, you're totally pleasing to God. But it's knowing that the way you live pleases a person is a powerful thing. And that's how you make Jesus the center of your life, is you please him. Ask what pleases God before you do it. Because it's very nice to know, you know, wow, you know, 500, 600 people just got saved. Wow. I think you like that, Lord. Wow, 700 people just got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Whew. Wow, all these people just got saved, Lord. I think that, that you like that. That was good. Praise the Lord. Wow, I didn't cuss that person out or throw the finger at him, even though I wanted to. Praise God. Pleasing. Pleasing. And wow, what if you become an easy-to-please person? Who's not going to want to be your friend? If you're easy to please and accommodating, a lot of people are going to want to be your friend. Nobody likes a grouch. Praise God. 
All right, look at someone now and say, wow. Mark 14.36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And this is Jesus-centered living. You, like Jesus did, not my will, but your will be done. I have a will. I have a free will. But I'm giving you my free will. I don't want to do my thing. I want to do your thing. And this is the beauty of giving your will to God. Because remember, the one thing God will not take from you is your free will. The one thing God will never force you to do is give up your free will. But God cannot bless people that do not give them their will. This is the object of Christianity, is for you to trust God enough to give him your will and say, not my will, Father, because I don't know how to run my life. I'm not smart enough or wise enough to run my life in the right way, so I'm just going to give you my will in every situation. Here is my will, not my will, but your will be done. My will is to do this, but I want to do your will. That is a powerful way to have a Jesus-centered life. Dear Jesus, what would you like me to do? What is your will in this situation? Because I'm having a real hard time knowing what you want me to do. I need to do your will, Lord, not mine, but yours be done. This is Jesus-centered living. And every Jesus-centered choice yields some type of amazing, beautiful blessing. Praise the Lord. Lord. Go to 1 John 2.8. Whoever, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 1 Peter 2.21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us and a, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Praise the Lord. So Jesus-centered living is Christ-likeness. It's imitating Jesus. Imitating Jesus. That's what... Jesus-centered living is you imitate Jesus. You know, it's one thing to, to, to do the best you can. It's another thing to imitate Jesus. That's like a whole different kind of living. And we are called to imitate Jesus. It's what makes Jesus the center of your life. Remember that whoever controls your emotions will control your life. And you need to make sure that Jesus is at the center of your life so that your emotional world reflects the lordship of Jesus in your life and you're not going crazy or losing everything because Jesus is not enough. And the truth is, for a lot of people, Jesus is not enough. The Jesus they have is not enough. They need other things. But the real Jesus, he's enough. If you have the real Jesus, he's enough. Praise God. It's a beautiful thing. 1 Timothy 1.5, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the whole goal 
is love. And this is the beautiful thing, that love is the answer for every situation. The way we make Jesus the center of our life is we walk in love. Love is the answer to every problem, circumstance, situation, anything you're going through. It's the love of God that is the answer. Being able to be blamed for loving a person is all that we're supposed to desire. Whatever else happens, people should be able to say, I know all this went this way and that way, but one thing I know is that you love me. This is a very powerful thing. To me, it is scary if someone in my family tells me, you know, that was not very loving. That does not make me feel loved. Uh, and I mean, and it would be terrible if someone said, you don't love me. I mean, that would be, you know, that's to a, to a real person, that is a hard, difficult thing. Because love, real, genuine love, has a lot of painful behavior in it. But the love part of it is always noticeable and visual to the people, regardless of what it may be. I mean, you may have to tell somebody something hard, but it's how you say it. It's how you say it. And when you're not in the spirit of love, you can say the right thing in such a bad way that it feels like you just took a sledgehammer and are beating the brains out of a person. Or you can say something very hard in a very loving spirit, and it's much easier to receive. But if we're going to be famous, let's be famous for loving people that nobody else wants to love. Praise the Lord. Without love, we are nothing. I'm almost done. Mark one thirty-five. A great while before morning, Jesus got up and went to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So the Jesus-centered life is a life of addictive prayer. You're not going to have a very successful Christian life if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit helping you and backing you up. There's going to be a lot, a lot of failure in our lives if the Holy Spirit is not backing us up and is not supporting us. Because there's at least 10,000 things that God wants you to do that you can't do without his help. Christianity in itself is impossible to actually live without the help of the Holy Spirit. Because it goes against your entire nature. So, without the Holy Spirit actually lifting you up and empowering you, empowering you and giving you the ability to do certain things and helping you, you're, you're going to fail. But when prayer enters your life, everything becomes a lot easier and a lot lighter. Think about how many things in your life you have difficulties, a difficult time doing that you know God wants you to do, but it's difficult for you to do it because you may not actually feel the arms of God or the strength of God or the wind of God or the breath of God lifting you up and helping you do those things. But Christianity is all about the Holy Spirit helping us do those things which you and I cannot do in the natural. And it comes from prayer, a genuine prayer life that produces the supernatural results 
that we are asking of God in our lives. And I'm not going to give you all the statistics about all that, but you know if you pray or you don't, and you know how much you do and how much you don't, and you know, but we should just be clear on it. No prayer, pretty much everything's going to be flesh. You know. I mean, we really don't pray hardly at all. And it's the actually the entire center of Christianity is prayer. So it's really to your benefit to really learn how to pray in a way that you feel empowered by the Holy Spirit. You actually feel the power of the Holy Spirit helping you do the things that please God. It's all about the Holy Spirit. Everything is about the Holy Spirit. My final thing, Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So a Jesus-centered life then, is a life of divine worship. Worshiping is what cleanses your personality. When you worship God, it purifies your personality. Your personality gets purged from all the different types of fleshly influences because being in the spirit of worship is like being in, in a shower of heaven. It literally washes your spirit, cleanses it, takes the meanness out of you, takes the pride out of you, takes the, the uh, control out of you, takes all that. It washes it out. It cleans it out because worship is so beautiful because you're inside the presence of God in true worship, not all worship produces the presence of God. Anybody can sing songs and even sing beautiful songs. It doesn't mean it's good. Because some people are not worshipers. They're drug addicts that have switched drugs from cocaine to holy cane. In other words, they, they, they literally are there because they like the way the music makes them feel. It's all about feelings. And so they could be in church for three or four or five years singing all those songs and never changing any area of their life because they're drug addicts, they're not worshipers. A worshiper cannot separate transformation that comes from being in the presence of God. Anytime you're in the presence of God, something changes for the better. That's how you know you're in the presence of God. Something bad leaves and something good enters. That is the fruit of the presence of God. Change is the only Evidence of the presence of God. Not feelings. Not like, oh, that was great. You know, that's more like a sexual thing or something. But, but the presence of God, it's very life-altering. When you're in God's presence, you don't just come out of there and stay the same carnal person. You haven't touched God if your carnality is intact. You just had an emotional experience with music that happens to be moving to your soul. But there are millions of songs that can make you cry. It doesn't mean that you're in the presence of anything. And look at the lyrics of some of these songs. Beautiful, beautiful music, but horrible lyrics. There's a lot of worldly songs like that. My God. 
So the presence of God is not about how you feel with music. It's about entering the presence of God and being literally enveloped by Jesus himself. And then he begins to alter your DNA. He actually begins to create a new DNA pattern in you where you go from the old you to the new you. Destiny is actually created when you're in worship. You're experiencing a transformation of species. You're actually becoming a new species, a new DNA. This is the fruit of real worship. And real worship doesn't have to have a band. It doesn't even have to have music because real worship is obeying when you don't want to. That is real worship. It's lifestyle worship. It's not just singing songs. Anybody can enjoy music, and we should. And it opens our soul for the presence of God like it opens our soul for demons or anything else, depending on the music. It has the power to open the soul and the spirit and bring you into the presence of God or the presence of the flesh or the presence of demons. All of that can happen from music. That's why Satan rules the world because he rules music. He is the worshiping archangel, and he knows how to manipulate mankind with music, and he knows how to find the lyrics that everybody likes to get their soul open, and he knows how to evangelize people with perverted lyrics. So the Holy Spirit comes, and then he begins to change our life as we're in the presence of God, and he begins to heal us and transform us. And when you're in the presence of God in true worship, the only thing that's required to get into true worship is a sincere seeking heart. That's all. It's not difficult. If you come and you say, Jesus, I just want to love you right now and thank you, and for you're just going to be in the presence of God that second, that moment. That's why when you hear certain people sing or play music, that you're instantly in the presence of God. Darlene Check, when she was worshiping, and, and you could see it on her. You could see the glory of God on her face because she was not aware of that. She was aware of that. And she got in it, and she just went for it, and she just got in there, and everybody just followed in because that is a worshiper, and that is the presence of God. And so people got saved, and people got healed, and people got delivered because the presence of God, the life-altering presence of God— came into the sanctuary and fell on everybody, and all these miracles happened because that's what happens when worship comes. That's how we make Jesus the center of our life, is we worship him in private as we do in public. If you can't say to Jesus, you are the center of my life, I love you more than lo I love anything else in my life. I want you more than I want anything else in my life. If you cannot use that kind of intimate language, it's going to be very difficult for you to enjoy your walk with God because you are pleasure people and you require pleasure to be satisfied. There's divine pleasure and carnal pleasure. So we have to tap into the divine pleasures of the Holy Spirit and exit the carnal pleasures of the flesh. Praise the Lord. All right, give somebody a high five and say, wow, Jesus is the center of my life. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God is good, isn't he? Praise the Lord. God is good. And how many of you, how many husbands do we have here? Let's have all the husbands stand up. Let me minister to all the men right now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
You know, when you read the Bible and see the way Jesus does things, he, he preaches revelation and then he demonstrates with the gifts of power. And though all of you men, of course, are at different places, some of you are saved, some of you are not saved, some of you are good, some of you are bad, some of you love God, some of you don't know what you love. You know, some of you wish I didn't do this. So, you know, whatever it is, you know, the purpose of God, and, and try to understand this, the purpose of God is never to embarrass or humiliate human beings or interfere into their personal life or business. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is beautiful. He doesn't embarrass people. But as you know, anything I might say by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, hopefully, uh, will be something that will be a blessing to you and can change your life. But you don't have to receive it. You can even pretend to receive it just for the sake of being courteous. Because remember, God's not going to force you to get anything. I may say something and you may just think I'm out of my mind or don't understand at all, and that's fine. You can just be polite and just, oh, yeah, that was great. I heck of that. That's fine. You know, or you could be a total heathen in private living in some secret thing. And, you know, nothing I say is going to come to pass unless you fix your life. So, but I say all that just to say, you know, I believe in the supernatural. And I believe that it's my job to minister to people individually because that's the pattern Jesus used. He preached. Then he ministered to individuals. And so I'm not going to be a lazy preacher and just preach. I want to minister to people. It's the job. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He ministers to people. Praise the Lord. And so it won't take long. Not gonna, I'm not going to give you, you know, the you know, Constitution in one thing or something, you know, or the entire Bible. Uh, you know, I have found that sometimes saying little that is revelatory is a lot more powerful than talking for, you know, a long time about something that doesn't mean anything. If you love God, he obviously has something to say to you personally. Praise the Lord. So can somebody get a mic? Is that, uh, Ab, can you do that? And let, go all the way back to Joe and start from that corner, darling. And um, we'll just see. It's all being recorded, right? For those of you that may want it afterward. The Holy Spirit told me something. He said, Ivan, when you minister to somebody, if they don't want what you give them, you can have it. Praise the Lord. And I can tell when somebody doesn't want something. Uh, so, Joe, we're going to start with Joe. And everybody knows Joe, so let's all extend Joe. our hands over to Joe. Joe, I've got uh, seven things that just are coming to me. One, God will answer all your unanswered questions. Two, you'll be satisfied with the answers. Three, God is not done with doing miracles in your life. Four, you will be a miracle worker. Five, you are to connect many people throughout your life to each other the kingdom of God. Six, a fire of God will land on you over the next seven years. That will be like nothing you've ever seen on anybody, and it will change everything about you. And seven, your family will be a sign and a wonder. That's your word from God. Praise the Lord. Okay, go right here. Bill. So, Brother Bill, I'm 
I'm hearing this, and this is a, a double thing. Um, the first thing is God's telling me to tell you that he trusts you. The second thing God is telling me to tell you is that you please him. The third thing that God wants me to tell you is that you're going to live a lot longer than you think. <laughs> and the fourth thing is that you influence more people than you know. The fifth thing is there are people alive today because you showed them love, mercy, kindness, and justice. And six, you're never going to run out of energy, strength, or functionality in your body. And seven, you will watch God do great miracles in the years to come that you have only dreamed about. And that's your word from God. Praise the Lord. All right. This is Frankie. Uh, Brother Frankie, uh, I see a forest being kicked down by you. A forest is a value to those that see its value, or it's something in the way of clearly seeing. So several things. One, God's anointing on you is to tear down the forest that is in the way of people being able to see God. Okay? Two, you will find that you can make things out of the things that are torn down, meaning that God can take something that was a hindrance and restore that into something that is now a blessing. And that I see you throwing pizzas up in the air, like two at a time, you're throwing them out. But it's not about you eating them because you're making them. And this is that, the word is that God will give you, always give you fresh food, fresh manna to feed those that God brings across your path. And that you will never be without revelation all your life till the day you die. It is the fact that you have revelation. Listen to my words on this that makes you relevant to the kingdom of God, and that you will never be irrelevant. You will always have something divine to say, because this is who God made you. You don't have to be a man dedicated to the Bible like you are. You don't have to be a man dedicated to being loyal and faithful and dependable like you are. You don't have to be a person that people can rely on to tell them the truth, to love them, to be there for them. You don't have to be that person, but you chose to be that person because that's who Jesus is inside you. And this is the heart that God has given you. And your heart is beautiful to God. Your heart is beautiful to God. There's nothing ugly about you. You're a beautiful person in heaven and a beautiful person to God. That is a good word. Praise the Lord. This is Brian. What's that? Brian. Brian. Do you mind me asking you what you do? I'm a principal of the school here. Okay. And so, and how long have you done that? Second year? Like, have you been a principal for two years or were you a principal somewhere else? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, when I looked at you, and the reason I asked that question, when I looked at you, I saw a lot of clay, like clay that kids kids have to make things with and when you were looking at this clay you had a big smile on your face because you did not see it as something that was a waste 
You saw it as something that was useful, usable, and able to be made into something amazing. This is the gift of God in you, is to be able to take what has no form and make it into something fantastic, amazing, and beautiful. This is the gift of God that wants you inside your heart to build up the lives of children and of people that cross your path. It's not an accident you are what you are, but it is the beginning. It's not the end yet. There's many things to come, but everything will be born from that basic desire to build things instead of to tear them down. And that's what you'll spend your life doing. God will add to your skills, your knowledge, your ability, your success, your favor, and your promotions. I received that for myself. Praise God. All right. Larry? Larry? Larry, I'm looking at something unusual right now. You're in uh, like a lake. You're standing in the lake, and you're making... Um, I don't know what they're called, but I saw them on a survivor thing. Uh, but uh, they're like baskets to catch fish. Like they're wide in one side and, and small on the other side. Uh, but you're like whistling and singing the whole time. You got your pants rolled up and you're just enjoying it a lot, like you could do it forever. And it's God is going to give you a gift of catching the souls of men. And he will show you how to make the baskets that will attract them to come in and catch those souls. That will be one of your greatest gifts. Well, God bless. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's keep going. This is Lex. So uh, you have asked God, Brother Les, for the gift of wisdom. And the Lord says that he is going to grant you that. On, on seven different levels. It will give you the gift of wisdom for transformation, the gift of wisdom for inspiration, the gift of wisdom for contentment, the gift of wisdom for breakthrough, the gift of wisdom for revival, the gift of wisdom for health, and the gift of wisdom for vocation. And those are the seven levels of wisdom that God is going to start adding to you. You already have them in, in minute levels, but what's in you is not going to be satisfied unless you actually see, visually see, the lives totally transformed because you are a man that God put a heart in there to not settle. So you're never going to settle because you know there's another bit of information out there or another bit of knowledge out there Something else that can make this better. Something else that can make this work better. Something else that can make this... We can achieve this. There's a better strategy. There's a better way of looking at this. Another perspective, perhaps. And that is a gift of God He gave you as a child. You've always had it. And that's why God has made you a leader. And like a sculptor. Of unsculptable people which I'm not sure that's a word, but it ought to be if it's not a word. I just invented it. Praise the Lord. But anyway, God bless. 
This is Dale. What's that? Dale. Yeah, Dan. Dale. Dale. Yes. Thanks. Sorry. Praise the, let's all just extend our hands over to Dale for a little bit. Praise the Lord. Um, well, um, this is a very weird picture, but I'm in a room, and there's um, chainsaws in there, circular saws in there, uh, hammers, mallets, uh, shavings of wood, carvings of all different types, just a lot of woodwork things everywhere. And the smell, the smell of something being made with with hands. And what this is, is that the, the spirit of creativity, the spirit of, of making something that requires work, that actually it takes work to make it, but the person making it already knows what it's going to look like when it's finished. They're simply going through the process but they already know what the finished product is going to look like. And this is you in the hands of God. There's a lot of carvings and a lot of shavings and a lot of pieces and a lot of things flying off and a lot of things being added. But God already knows what the finished product of Dale is going to be. He already knows, and he is not disappointed in you. He is not sad with you. He is not afraid of what it might be because he is the master carpenter of souls and it is the lord that's been working on you for all these years and he is going he is so excited about the finished product you're in the process the job of a piece of wood is to just sit there and let the carpenter do his job become what he makes you because what he makes you is always going to be something very divine and very functional for the kingdom of God. That is a great word. Praise the Lord. Let's come on over here. Nick? Nick. So this is a little bit of crazy picture I just got there. Uh, so look out on the bay, Nick, with me. Just look out on the bay. And then see a lot of sailboats, many sailboats. Some have one sail, some two, some three, some four, some five, some six, you know. Like that. Some of them are very big. Some of them are very small. And uh, my wife and I go and preach in Hawaii, and they always put us in this hotel that overlooks the bay, and you can see all these type of ships and, and things like that. They're always going out, coming in. They're everywhere. We always look at them and say, wow, I wonder what that would be like, you know, doing that, uh, sailing. But what these, what these boats represent in the spirit is your dreams. And that though they're docked, your dreams are not out where they should be yet. They're just docked. But they are made already. They even have sails on them already. But it is God who will call those dreams out of the bay and out of the dock and tell them to go out to sea and do what they're called to do. But what the Lord wants, you to, wants me to tell you is be at peace. Because your dreams are not always going to be tied. They will be loosened and allowed to go out where they were created to be. Praise God. Hold on a second. I received that for myself. Praise God. Everybody say, I received that for myself. Wow. Let's start over here. Oh, okay. Timothy. Uh, Timothy. You're a husband then. 
And who's your wife? Not here right now. Not here right now. How about children? You don't have any? How long have you been married? Uh, four, four months. That would be a good reason. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But you will have children eventually. Yeah. Anyway, this is a weird thing, but I just heard that I'm hearing this, that you will have very smart children. They will be geniuses and work in academia like they will be very intelligent and have degrees and things like that, but they will never lose the simplicity of loving Jesus. It will mark them for the rest of their lives. And this is something that you and your wife will give to them. Your gift to them will be loving Jesus. And they will become very successful, very rich, very powerful, very influential. The way you'll know I know what I'm talking about is that they will all be addicted to reading at a real early age. They'll just want to read, 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 and discovering and scientific things and all kinds of stuff. One of them's going to be a doctor. I mean, it's going to be just, you know, and I know I'm going way out there, but I'm not practicing. I do this a lot. So I'm just saying, <laughs> your family is going to be really okay and have a beautiful family. Always have unity and love and cherish each other all your life. Praise the Lord. Also, for your extended family, the Holy Spirit is pursuing all of them. Everyone, whoever is related to you, is presently being pursued by the Holy Spirit. Praise God. So, Merry Christmas. Glory to God. Jacob. Yeah. Jacob, I'm, I'm watching you bowling right now. And uh, so, bowling, as you know, is a very obvious sport that makes everybody know who is spastic. Like when you go bowling, you can tell who the bowlers are and who's just visiting. Because, you know, the balls are flying this way, flying, they're getting stuck in their hands, they're going this way, they're hitting themselves. A lot of failure in bowling. But the real bowlers, I mean, you can tell right away they can make the ball spin and twist it and do all kinds of different things and, you know, stuff like that. And it's pretty, you know, but they've spent a lot of money learning to do something so silly, you know. But, but what I'm saying this to you for is that the Lord's wanted me to tell you that you're not wasting your life developing yourself as a man of God. That the skills that you are going to learn over the next 20 years of your life are going to make you very obviously, to everyone, very obviously, a man of divinity, a man of godliness, a man of faith, a man of power, a man of miracles. You will become a discipler of men, and you will train men how to walk with God, children how to walk with God, and your skills will become very, very sharp and very keen. And your heart will just continue to grow and grow and grow. And God has no intention to ever end that growth. He just wants your heart to keep growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. Because God wants to fit the whole world in there. And there's, there's a couple of skills and gifts you have that haven't manifested, but they will. And they come, they're intellectual gifts. And you'll know them when they kick in. Because you'll be able to do something you've never been able to do. You've only read about other people doing it, but then you're going to be able to do it. 
and, and it will create more wealth for your family. Praise the Lord. I want that. Where's Abby? I'm right here. Oh. Tucker. Tucker, yeah. Yeah, let's extend our hands over there to, to Brother Tucker. Praise the Lord. Tucker, um, you know, when I look at you right now, I see like floating rocks. And this is a very weird thing because rocks do not float. But all around you, they're like floating and moving like this. They're moving up, down, you know. And obviously a rock, if a rock falls on a person, you know, it really can break their bones and crush them. <coughs> but this is what this means. Dangerous things have not been allowed to have access to you. Even though they're floating all around you, they'll never hurt you. Because the Lord is putting some protection around your family to protect it from the things that want to destroy your family. And the Lord will keep your family safe. Because you're standing on a rock. <coughs> you're standing on Jesus, the rock. This is what I like about God. He always tells us about things and speaks to us about things that are way out in the future, but that apply for our daily lives. And God speaks to us from the future backwards. And so first safety. That to be at peace about your family. God will keep your children safe. He'll keep your wife safe. He'll keep you safe. And secondly, um, in the wilderness, the rock, when it was spoken to, started pour pouring out rivers of water. And God is speaking to the rock so that it can send rivers into your family. And this is a very powerful word. You know, we don't very often get what we deserve with God. He always gives us more than we deserve, like beyond, beyond, beyond. But a river is a flow of a particular supply of the supernatural that comes from God. And I see lots of rivers shooting out of your family. Lots of rivers. You'll have encounters with Jesus over the next 10 years that will change you as a man. You'll literally become a different person. And that'll affect everyone in your family. You'll become a man of tremendous prayer. And you'll be known for praying three hours, four hours, five hours. Friendships that have been lost in the past will be regained. Relationships will be, become supernatural. Many different things will happen. No man can do what I'm saying. This will be from God. It will be like God puts you inside of a furnace of the Holy Ghost. And it literally, your cells of your body will become like fire in the Holy Spirit. And the word, I see like four words right there. I see the word restorations, deliverances, anointings, and supplies. Four things that will always go in, in and out of your life like that. So praise the Lord. There you go. Let's keep going. This is Josh. What's that? Josh. How you doing, Josh? Jesus lives in my city. Peace, brother. That's awesome. Um, there's a scripture, Second Chronicles chapter 5. Uh, it says that the 120 of the priests were all worshiping God, 
playing the trumpets, and they were all making one sound with one voice. And that that sound and that, that voice they made opened up the heavens and brought in the cloud of God's glory. And you have, be, you have made yourself to be in unison with the voice of God. Because you have chosen that, God will keep the windows of heaven open for you for the rest of your life. There is no lack that will enter your life. It will always, you will always have the provisions of heaven for anything that you need because you have made your voice to be in unison with God's voice. And if you keep doing that for the rest of your life, and if you stop and you say, oh, it's not unison there, 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 and if you figure, it'll open another window. So it's up to you how much of heaven you get to experience. Praise the Lord. I received that for myself. Glory to God. This is Abel. How you doing, Abel? What do you do for a living? Yep. Do you live in this area? And is this all your family? You have two more daughters. Excellent. So let's let's pray for Abel. And um, Abel, so I'm looking right here, and I see falling leaves, like thousands and thousands of falling leaves. Where we live now, when fall comes, we have many, many, many trees on our property, and there are so many leaves on the ground that it takes me so long. My wife and I just spend days and days and days and days trying to get rid of all these leaves, you know, because the leaves just are thousands of them. And leaves mean that something old has fallen, making way for something new. And the Lord is telling me to tell you that the old things have fallen. And that God wants to do something new. Something that you know only God could do. Whatever of you and yours is old. Is, is God wants you to know it can, it can be totally gone. And everything new can start blossoming. New fruit trees. New, new things. New growth. New everything. As you surrender yourself to God more and more. He will fill your trees with the fruit that you desire. Praise the Lord. So may the blessing of the Lord be on you and on your family. And may your past and all the things of the past that you would want to forget, may they become like ashes blown away by the wind. And the future be beautiful in the hands of God. Praise the Lord. This is Tim. Yes, sir. I'm hearing that the Lord is not ever bored with you. He likes to hear your prayers. He likes to hear your voice. He likes you to spend time with him. And that you are not a man easily taken and deceived. That you analyze and break things apart. And that the Holy Spirit says that once you are convinced, then your convictions take over. The devil cannot overcome a conviction. He can only overcome a preference. And the Lord is going to fill you with convictions 
for the rest of your life. Convictions make people very powerful because when a man or a woman has a conviction, Satan has to move out of the way. And when you walk in the years to come, he will move out of the way because your convictions are like a, a um, antibiotic. They're like a, a you know, spray that, you know, where mosquitoes flee. I mean, it, it, it's just going to be a very powerful thing, this convictions that God will give you as you spend time in his word and, and walking with God, where the enemy has to move out of members of your family and out of different people in your life because your conviction will be so solid, so sensible, and so clear, and so powerful. Praise the Lord. That is a good word. I received it for myself. Richard? You know, I saw this earlier when she passed by you, but I saw a lot of crutches just flying in every direction, like thousands of crutches just flying in every direction, just flying in every direction. And, of course, crutches represent a lot of things. They represent people that can't walk properly. They represent dysfunction. They represent, you know... Um, disabilities, and all that. But you are to be a, a curer, a doctor of disabilities, a person who can make people who couldn't walk with God able to walk with God. It'll all start in your family and spread from there. Praise the Lord. All right, Brother Bruce. So let me say a few things, Brother Bruce. One, I really like you. You are a very humble, loving man. I feel always very appreciated and loved when I'm with you. Uh, you're very friendly and kind. You're a very sincere person. You obviously love Jesus a lot, and there's no meanness in you. And I'm, I am, uh, really appreciate the softness that you have. And that is a gift from God because softness is the fruit of properly managed pain. People that don't manage their pain right get hard. People that manage their pain right get soft. But the Lord wants to touch your physical body. And so, Abby, would you lay hands there on Bruce? And we're just going to pray, Brother Bruce, that you have divine health for the rest of your lives and that anything you're worried about in your body right now that the worry will leave you, and you will know that the wonder-working power of God is working inside your body. Amen. Praise the Lord. Pat. Uh, Abby, I don't know if, if you know, you know when I told you I went on that helicopter ride? He's the one that took me. Yeah. And I don't remember there being a seatbelt, but... There was no door here, and it was it was real, really cool. But it's how you shoot the pigs, you know, from the helicopter. But I haven't done that yet. But that's sure something I sure would like to do. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Not that I'm plugging, making, putting in a plug or doing nothing. But man, I sure would like to shoot some pigs from that helicopter. <laughs> So I want to say a few things to you just, just that I'm seeing. 
and as much as you can understand, but on this particular thing. But so when I looked at you, what was what's the name again? Pat. Pat, yeah. So when I looked at you, Pat, when you stood up, I saw wings, many sizes of wings, different wings. So you had like little wings over in your feet, like the wings of a hummingbird. They were moving really fast, like this. Then a different kind of wings, 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 different kind of wings. And what this represents is everything is about flight in the spirit, but the Lord is a lot more patient with you than you are with yourself. And that God is not disappointed with what he's begun to do in your life. That it may seem like just little wings, but when God is done with you, that it will be obvious to everybody that God has done a divine work in your life. Because whatever has to be done in you, only God can do. And you know that. Only God can make you have the wings of an eagle, which are the wings that make a person fly really high. But we all start with little wings. But can you imagine the power of the wings of a hummingbird? They don't look like much. You can't even see them because they move so fast. But they make that hummingbird do things that other birds cannot do. And so your past, filled with whatever mistakes, trouble, pain, and things that are in it, God does not want that past to define your future. And he wants you to be able to just look in the mirror and say, God, you have done miracles in my life that I don't know how you did them, but you did them. Because inside there, God has put a seed. And that seed is going to grow, and it's going to grow into a big seed. A seed that other people can take shade in. And even though you haven't totally discovered all the things that God has for you yet, and I'm seeing 14 different things, that one by one you will begin to unwrap. And with each unwrapping, it will bring you closer and closer and closer and closer to your true destiny, which you know covers a lot of things other than just taking me on a, you know. <laughs> but praise the Lord. But, you know, God is a forgiver. And the hardest person to forgive in our lives is ourselves. All of us are the same way. We have a hard time. But you're going to have to forgive yourself so many times in your life, like I have to and like everyone does. And as you forgive yourself, God gives you a new grace and a new ability. And he gives you a new gift, a new talent to bless and to help and to do the things you want to do. So be happy and let the little wings flap because they keep growing into bigger wings. Praise the Lord. God bless you. All right, I think I got everybody there. Oh, nope. Brother, I'm sorry. Stand up. Praise the Lord. I forgot. Santiago. Santiago. Praise the Lord. Um, geez. That's an interesting thing. Um, so, you're burning down a graveyard. You're like in a graveyard, and you're just walking around burning down the graves, like burning them. 
the graves represent dead things that other people worship. And that the life God is going to give you will burn down the dead things that people worship. And you're going to clear out the graveyards of their life and allow them to have a garden instead of a graveyard. You are a creator of gardens in the hearts of people. That you're not only going to do great things like that for God, but you are a memorial builder. You will do things in God, with God, and for God that will build memorials in heaven. In the book of Acts chapter 10, it says Cornelius helped the children of Israel by giving, and his alms went up to heaven as a memorial before God. So that all the different things you will do and all the different errors you will do, some of them, not all of them, but some of them will be memorials of sacred beauty in heaven because the motives of your heart will be love. And that will make you a very wealthy man in heaven. You're going to be a very rich man in heaven because of pure love and because of caring and compassion. And these will guide your life till the day you die. Praise the Lord. God bless. Let's all extend our hands to Brother Robert. And, you know, Brother Robert, today I heard the Lord tell me, I want to give Robert 1,000 times more than he could ever imagine. Because, Robert, God has made you a man with no limitations on your faith. You actually believe God many years ago when I first came here. The Lord, you're a man that when God speaks to you, it's, it's, an, it's a done deal. It's over with. God says it, you take it in, and then you begin to live it. As I remember one day God spoke something to you, and you said, that's what I am. Like that moment you became a different man. And I have seen God do that to you through the years. And you just take it in, you absorb it, and then you become it. Now you're living many years in, into the, from that day to this day, and God says 1,000 times more than you have ever done up to this day will you do. Not 10 times more, not 50% more, not 7 times more, not 100 times more, but 1,000 times more because the Lord is so pleased with you as his son and loves you so much as his son because you all the battles of your soul that you go through, you always end up with Jesus at the end. It's always Jesus in charge. It's always Jesus running your life. It's always Jesus, I want to do what Jesus wants. And that is the most beautiful character trait that you have is that you are a God pleaser. And because of that, the Lord says, I will put no restrictions on the desires of your heart that I will grant. I will grant them that when you die as an old man, you will have seen God do many, many thousands and thousands of miracles for orphans and widows and the poor and all the things that God has put in your heart. For it is for this purpose that you were born and created. 
Praise God. And the Lord says, I will always be your friend, your father, your companion, and I will always be there for you in the days ahead, in anything that you have to go through, I will always be there for you. Praise the Lord. So there you go, everybody. Sorry I kept you this long, but hey, this is my last day. Praise the Lord. I won't see you again till next March or something. So uh, thank you, everybody, for being here, and thank you for staying here. And that's all I got to say, and God bless you, and have a great evening. Pastor Robert's coming up. Amen.